Our scripture passage today comes from the book of Malachi, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Hear God's holy and authoritative word. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces and the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. The grass withers and the flower fades. Amen. You may be seated. As we come to God's word, we need his help. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for sending your prophets to instruct your people. And even these words spoken so many years ago, that they are still living and active and instructive to us as your people now. But we need your help to understand. We need your spirit to illuminate it to our hearts. Would you give us that grace today that we might be changed by your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, it's not too often that... Dung comes up in a Bible verse that you hear preached in a Sunday sermon. Um, although it's less odd than you might think if you read through many of the Old Testament passages, especially the prophets, as they were often those who were coming to say harsh things, particularly to rulers, of course, to the people more generally, here to the priests, but oftentimes to kings. But before we get into the nitty-gritty, I want to start by really laying out what this passage is warning us of. Really what the main theme here that Malachi is getting into. Remember last week we looked at the rebuke about uh, profaned offerings. That people had, who had you know, a flock of sheep, instead of giving the best of their flock like they were commanded to, they were bringing in those which were worthless, lame or sick blind, keeping the best for themselves. And the priests were complicit in this because they were the ones who were supposed to guard, uh, you know, the temple and the type of worship that was happening. And here we have a turn not from the action of sacrifice, but to the teaching, the teaching of the priests. So the priests were in mind last time, but there was this more general application to those who were bringing the offerings. And then we have our passage today, which is very, very focused on the priests, especially their teaching. And the warning here is about false teaching. 
or being a bad teacher. Now, in our day-to-day, if you go to high school or college or get a master's degree, oftentimes we view those things as um, check boxes in order to get a job. We just want to complete the work in order to get something. It's transactional, right? Uh, We don't particularly have a big focus on the formative nature of education. We don't go into our algebra class and think, I'm going to grow a lot in this class. You think, I need to get through this class, and I need to get a good enough grade so I don't lose my scholarship so I can move on to Calc 1, or whatever it is that you're pursuing. It's just kind of a hurdle in the way. Now, that's a very bad view of education. Certainly, we want our education to be more formative, but is this not the case that if you were to go to a college and to look up on the internet two different professors teaching the same class, and one has all of these reviews about how difficult his class is, how hard his tests are, how long the papers must be, how much reading is going to be required of you, versus the other professor who doesn't take attendance, Every book open exam is just a breeze. Pretty much you show up and you're going to get an A. Now, most of us, myself included, would probably go with the second option. Because I'm a busy college student, I don't want to spend a bunch of time working on my classes. I'm more concerned about other things like energy drinks and pizza and video games. But the result of that second teacher versus that first teacher is that you will have learned nothing. You will have changed not one bit. Now, the other teacher may be more difficult, and yet if you take that class, you will have changed. You will have learned the material. The difficult tests will have caused you to prepare well. And when you move on to the next level of your course... Well, if you took the easy road, you're going to have an even harder time. We often want the easy teacher. We want the easy A. We want to phone it in because we don't see the value of the formation through the hardship, seemingly hardship, of the more difficult path. The easy A professor is a bad teacher. He doesn't actually care about his students. If he cared about his students, he would want them to know and to understand and to be convinced and to grow and to be prepared for what comes next. By giving them an easy A, by giving them a free pass, he is actually doing them a disservice. This is what has been happening with the priests at the time. When Malachi has come. Remember, they have just come back from exile. It's been about a generation. They have rebuilt the temple. And the priests are the ones who are supposed to not only offer sacrifices, but to instruct the people in the law of God. We learned last week that they weren't very good at keeping the boundaries tight on sacrifices. They accepted any old sacrifice. Well, you don't, it doesn't matter if it's your best of your flock. The Lord doesn't care. Keep the best for you. Just give me what you can. Turn in any assignment and you'll get an A. And here, the priests are condemned specifically for the way in which they are misleading the people. 
And really, we're looking at three things today. First is this, uh, this looking back to the covenant with Levi that's referenced here. Now, that's not typically a covenant we have in mind when we think about the covenants of the Old Testament. But we're going to look at the covenant of Levi. What, what was it really like? What was a faithful priest supposed to be like? How did God order it initially? The covenant with Levi. And then we're going to look at the corruption that we see of the priests here and the consequences of their actions. But ultimately, we want to look ahead to something greater. But first, this covenant of Levi. So if you remember how the people of Israel were initially started, after the Exodus, Moses and Aaron went forth through the wilderness, led the people, and Aaron was the priest. Moses was the prophet. And through the line of Aaron came a priesthood, the tribe of Levi. So all of the priests and the people of Israel were always related. It was a generational, passed-down role. Now, Levites, the Levites had many different roles in the people of Israel. Not only were they those who were offering sacrifices and teaching, but they also were the judges in the places of the cities of refuge. They were those who would uh, be the guards in the temple. And it's not that every single one was wearing a white robe or whatever type of robe they wore, you know, and doing this uh, clerical, you know, clergy-type work. They had a variety of ways, but it was all to protect justice and worship and all of the things that God had commanded his people. They were kind of the arbiters, right? A priest is this intermediary between God and his people. And so we're told that God made this covenant with the priest, that he had established this priesthood with Levi and all of his descendants, that they would be those people who would instruct, who would offer the sacrifices, who would remind the people, who would guard the temple, who would judge righteously. It says that the covenant he made with them, verse 5, was one of life and peace. The Levites were to be faithful priests, And the Lord would preserve their life and cause them to have peace in their land. And that is what the Lord gave to them. And they, it was a covenant of fear. And they feared him. Now, fear isn't just this, uh, you know, fear of punishment, but of reverence and awe. As we see, they stood in awe of my name. They understood how holy God was, how serious these things were that were commanded, this promise of life and peace, how contingent it was in the sense that if they were going to be rebellious, if they were not going to follow these commandments, they would not have life and they would not have peace. That the Lord was the one who was giving them these things and they gave him fear and awe. This was the role of the priests in the midst of the people of Israel. We see how faithful they were. Verse 6, true instruction was in his mouth. They taught faithfully. There was no wrong found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Right? So the priests are those who, if you were to bring your lame offering or your sick offering or to violate the commandments, they were the ones who were to call you to repentance, to turn from your sin and to be restored. And that is what Levi did. Turned many from their sin. 
with their true instruction. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, because the priest is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. It's a very important role. I mean, to think uh, you're going to be the intermediary between God and his people. That is a weighty task. In fact, there's this uh, imagery in the Old Testament. If you know when they took over the promised land, the Levites didn't get any land. It was all divided up among the 12 tribes of Israel except for the Levites because the Lord was their inheritance. They were in this position that was weighty, but it was also this great privilege and honor to be able to dwell in his temple, to serve close to his presence, to have to be dependent upon his blessing of the land in order for them to have the harvest. They didn't have farms and flocks. They were dependent on the offerings of the people. And so here we have the restoration of the temple after the exile. And the priests in their unfaithfulness don't look anything like what Levi was or what he was supposed to be. And we begin to see the corruption. You look here at verse 8. Instead of turning people away from their iniquity, instead of walking in uprightness with the Lord, they have turned aside from the way. And they have caused many people to stumble by their instruction. They have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. There are many things that can be disastrous to the people of God. We see it throughout the Old Testament, these uh, times of God's judgment on his people. Of course, they've just come back from exile, which was one of God's judgment. There are many ways in which churches like this, as we look ahead, uh, we can be ravaged by sin. But the most pernicious, the most wicked thing that can happen, at the heart of all of those travesties, is false teaching. One pastor said it would be better for him to be disqualified from ministry instead of being stuck in the pulpit for 20 more years teaching falsely, which is a bold thing for a pastor to say because it would be so scandalous. How often we see the scandal of pastors falling. And it is. It wreaks havoc on the church. But how much greater of a sin... And how much worse the effects if false teachers were to continue on unhindered. The priests have certainly turned aside, and that is shameful. But the false teaching is far worse. And that is the warning that Malachi has for the priests today. And his rebuke is very vivid. And when we hear these words from a prophet and they strike us as being not clean church words, that ought to perk our ears because it's supposed to. And it actually would have perked their ears much more. Going back to the beginning of our passage, the consequences of their false teaching. Verse 2, if you will not listen, 
you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. One of the things that the priests did is they administered God's blessings. In fact, the blessing we use at the end of our service every week, the Aaronic blessing, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. That would have been something they would have said many times to the people of God. And yet, this word says that those blessings, the things that you think are blessings, are actually going to be curses. You proclaim blessing, but it's actually a curse. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring. Right? Remember the Levites? This is a generational priesthood. Those who are coming after you will also be rebuked. And here's the fun part. I'm going to spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings. And you shall be taken away with it. So in the Old Testament sacrificial system, they would bring in an animal and they would slaughter it and they would pour out the blood and do all sorts of different things with different parts of the body depending on the type of sacrifice. But what they always did is they took the gross parts and they brought them out of town as far away as they could. Because they were unclean. They weren't worthy to be offered as a sacrifice. The entrails, the dung, all of the things that would have been unusable, they would have taken away. The best was given to the Lord. The lifeblood was spread on the altar. But here, the worst part of the offering, the part that's not even allowed to stay in the temple, is going to be smeared on the priest's face. And just like it is taken and thrown out of the temple, so will the priests. Those who are supposed to be holy, who are supposed to be able to be closer to the presence of God. Those who are clean, following all of these laws in order to be ceremonially clean, will be shamed and defiled, mocked by the Lord himself. Because they are leading the people astray. They didn't have the fear of the Lord. They didn't stand in awe of him. They took it lightly. Their task to lead the people. But in reality, they were false teachers. So what relevance has this to us today? We don't have priests. I am not a priest. Nowhere in the New Testament are we told of any sort of office of priest in the church. The reason why we don't have a priest, the book of Hebrews reminds us that there were many priests in the Old Testament because they all died. And they had to be replaced over and over again, right? They had to have more sons of Levi. But now there's a new priest who came, Christ, our high priest, who reigns forever, who is always priest and never to be replaced. And so, if Christ is our priest, it does some good for us, I suppose, in terms of how this applies to us, right? But also, the New Testament calls all of God's people 
his priests. Peter often refers to the church as the royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests. We are, as you were, under priests, under Christ, our high priest. We have access to God's presence and glory. But we still have teachers in the church. There is still false teaching. There is still a sense in which we can be led astray. We are told at the end of our, of our section today, verse 9, they, dis, they would be despised and debased because they do not keep his, the Lord's ways and they show partiality in their instruction. One of the ways in which they were being false teachers is they were saying different things to different people. Giving heavier burdens to these people and probably the more prominent, important, wealthy people that would be able to help the priests along were getting a different teaching. A different set of rules to follow. These types of partiality are always at play in our hearts. We always are people pleaser at some level. But the pernicious nature of false teaching in the church, it falls to all of us to be diligent, to protect. Like the Bereans who searched the scriptures to see if what they heard was true, so it is the call for all of us to find true teachers and to find false teaching and to call it out for what it is. Timothy, who was an evangelist after Paul, was told this in 2 Timothy. This was his call. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears and will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, doing the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. The warning to Timothy to be one who is rooted in the word, to teach in season and out of season, at any circumstance, to be faithful to what God's word said, because there was going to be a time, and indeed it's always been the time, when people will not endure sound teaching. Where, like the priests, they, they want the easy path. We want to get the easy way. We just want to get over the hurdle so we can get on to the next step in our life. False teaching is a teaching that goes into our sensibilities. It's not something that's obvious, something that we don't like. It often appeals to the things that we actually desire most. But here is why true teaching really matters, what it really looks like to have true teaching. There are many things that we can talk about. There are many things we can learn. There are many things pastors can say on any given Sunday to you. 
But pastors are not priests. They do not have some sort of a special role between you and God. The real tragedy is if people are not preaching true teaching to you, you don't know who your priest really is. You see, a true teacher, one who preaches to you what the Bible says, reminds you of the hard things, turns you from iniquity, calls you to a life of faith and repentance, always points you to Christ. We don't have a priest who gives us lame offerings. We have a priest that gave us the only perfect offering. We don't have a priest who teaches us falsely. We have a priest who came and taught us the true word. And now we have people who want to teach things that Christ never said or talk about ten practical steps to a successful godly life instead of telling us and reminding us about who Christ is. Once again, false teaching isn't necessarily things that aren't true. They might be fully true. They may give you success. They might help you in your career. They might make you feel better. But if they don't point you to Christ as your priest, if they don't bring you to the cross, if they don't remind you of your need for forgiveness, then they are false They are just itching your ears, and those false teachers will have dung on their faces and cast out of the temple. These are harsh words that are particularly pointed at people like me, right? There are no fully true teachers. We are all sinful people. But when we hear these words from Malachi, it ought to stir in us a reality of how serious this is, how glorious this God is, that following his commands and doing the things he says, they're not optional. They ought not to just be burdensome. And yet... We can't keep them perfectly, and he has provided us a priesthood to intercede for us. That's the whole point of the priests. Not merely to rebuke people, but to give them the means to be reconciled. It's easy, even in our context, people who in our website say, you know, we put the Bible at the center, we have this high view of the scriptures. And yet, when we come to church on Sundays, when we sit in our homes each week and we have the word sitting in front of us, it often is hard for us to appreciate it. Hard for us to want it. We look at all of the different variety of churches out there and people would think, Oh, if your church is surrounded by the sermon only, why do you read so much of the Bible? Why are you always just reading this and long sermons? I don't preach that long, right? But it's not fun. It's not inspiring. 
Well, if God's word isn't inspiring to us, if this isn't enough for us, if Christ as our high priest isn't enough, then we are searching after the wrong thing. We have been told a lie. And we want the easy A. May that not be true of us. May even in our weakness, even in our boredom here today, is he ever going to stop? Ephesians 1 was such a long confession of faith. May God stir our hearts. May we be pierced by these words from Malachi. That we would seek life and peace through relationship with Christ. That we would fear him. That we would see him with awe. And know that we have a priest not like those of Levi. But a perfect one to cover our sins when we fail to do so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Christ is our high priest who has paid for all of our sins all of our inclinings to false teachings, self-fulfillment, easy believism, and paid for that in his body and shed blood. Father, help us to look to him. Help us to be discerning between false and true teaching. Lord, help us to have reverence and awe in our hearts for you. that we might glory in your praise and honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.